mantra of the American dream is to advance yourself with hard work, ingenuity, innovation. You can have it all. The frightening reality of the gospel. Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. And he may tell any one of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. But we don't believe this. If we form Jesus to look like us and be who we want Him to be, then even when we gather together and sing our praises and lift our hands, the reality is we are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We are worshiping and singing to ourselves. We have a master who demands radical obedience. A mission that warrants radical urgency. And we do not have time to waste our lives living out a Christian spin on the American dream. The most glorious reason you exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And it's more than having a nice life. It's about giving our lives and our families and our jobs for the proclamation of the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. If we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 billion lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table, then that means radical change in our lives and our families and the church. Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. Wow. What'd you think? Wow. The three of you that are clapping saying, I want to be spiritual. I'm going to clap. Yes. That's it. I'm sorry. Thanks for clapping. Interestingly, uh, someone sent that to me this week, and it's just so appropriate because uh, where we're heading for the next four weeks to talk about really how the American dream or how the uh, being Americans has shaped the way we see the gospel. Uh, That is where we're going to be. I think that we all have to realize that clearly uh, who we are, where we've grown up, has shaped the way we understand God. For me, uh, having grown up in New York as a Yankee, thank you Lord, um, being a Presbyterian, being white, uh, all these things have greatly shaped the way I understand the gospel. I have to admit it. And maybe an exercise we could do is we could go into the nurseries this morning and we could say to our children, hey, we want you to draw a picture of Jesus. And we could ask some churches in Miami, we want you to go into the nurseries of your church and we want you to draw a picture of Jesus. And we could go to India and Israel and Sudan and say, we want you to draw pictures of Jesus. You think they all look alike? I think they would be some amazingly different things. The question I want to begin with is this. How has the American dream affect the way we see the world? How does the American dream affect the way we see the gospel? And I think the question that we as the church need to wrestle with this morning and every morning is, are we letting the American dream 
shape the way we do see the gospel? Or are we allowing God's word in the gospel of Jesus Christ shape the way we see the American dream? If the mantra, according to that video, and David Platt, a pastor out of Birmingham, Alabama, he's got a new book out called Radical. It's, it's good. I'm about 50 pages in. If the mantra of the American dream, as he says, is to advance ourselves, and we see that the mantra of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to advance Christ's kingdom, clearly, they're on a collision course. Clearly, there are two ends of this extreme. So the next four weeks, we will be examining how the American dream has affected our view of the gospel. But i got to start with a disclaimer. For me, it's kind of like a drunk who will be making fun of bars. For me, it might be a little bit like a materialist who is trying to have a hard time and saying bad things about malls. Or about a politician who has a hard time with bureaucrats. I want to begin by confessing that the American dream has been oftentimes my dream. The American dream has affected the way I see Jesus. I see the world. I see Christianity. I've been influenced. And God wants to deal with me in these next four weeks. But one thing I know as your pastor is he wants to deal with you too. So journey with me. Journey with me as we kind of are on a little bit of shaky ground because, uh, you know, we are so grateful for this country. We're so thankful for all that we have. But we got to look at what God has for us. Last week, uh, we celebrated Memorial Day. Today is D-Day. For all you men and women who have served our country, thank you. I told our children on Memorial Day, we can't let this day pass without being grateful for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for what we have here and freedom. We must always be grateful and thankful. Unbelievable blessings of living in America. Unbelievable. We have no worry that someone is going to come and stop our meeting by gunpoint today. We are here with freedom to worship our great God. But as Christians, listen, as Christians, we have an even bigger agenda than what the American dream tells us. The American dream, as I was preparing the sermon and talking to others, we realized it even affects the way we listen to sermons. Even affects the way you evaluate them on the ride home. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. For us to look at this American dream and what God has for us, we're going to look at a familiar story to many of us who know a little bit about the Bible. If you don't know the story, you're not familiar, we're so glad you're here. But the story we're going to look at is way back in Genesis 11. We're going to, we're going to see about the American dream in Genesis 11 about people building a tower to heaven. Seemingly a good enterprise. Saying, let's build a tower to heaven and see how much of that Tower of Babel has made its way into our understanding of the American dream and maybe who we are called to be. I'm going to ask three questions. If you want to follow along in your outline, it's there for you in the bulletin. Uh, three overarching questions are these. What does God reveal about Himself in this story? The story of Babel. What does, God, what does this story reveal about our American dream? 
And thirdly, how does Jesus fulfill the dream of our story? So let's jump in. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. If the words I read are a little bit different than the words on the screen, don't be alarmed. Um, Robert didn't have his Bible, so he used his phone. I can't find my Bible. That's a, how good is it for a preacher not to find his Bible he preaches with, you know? It's a little scary. Um, so the one I'm using today is a little different translation. It's TNIV instead of ESV for those of you who follow those things. But no matter what version you have, God in His grace has preserved His Word for us. We can trust it. It's not going to lead us astray. It's for us today, uh, really, in the original, without, without any errors. And so we come here today for the story to be in submission to what God has for us. So let's listen to God's Word, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Quickly, uh, the flood has happened. God has preserved humanity through one family. He says to Noah the same thing He said to Adam. Okay, time to multiply. Time to go. Time to fill the earth with My image and glory. Uh, Multiply. uh, Make disciples. That was the task they have. And so now we find this story. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. Seemingly benign, but just listen to the word and maybe underline settled there. They said to each other, come, let us, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build and underline the word ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for, again, ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down. He he, he condescended. It's kind of irony here. It's tongue-in-cheek. You don't see it maybe unless you have the Hebrew, but what are they doing? They're building a tower to heaven, right? So what does God have to do? He's got to come down and look at it. He's basically saying, are you kidding me? Nice anthill you got here. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that they were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, the triune God said, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let us pray. Father, what a story seems like you'd be excited about people who want to build a tower to you. seems like you'd be excited about people who want to settle down and build a city. And yet, it was so antithetical to who you are and what your plan is that you would even be willing to mess up their language. So God, there's obviously here a disconnect between what they were doing and who you, want, who you are and what you wanted them to do. So God, I want to confess by saying that I, 
I don't have the ability to bring any clarity to a thing like that. Only you do. So God, would you be pleased to send the Spirit of your Son into this room and would you give us ears to hear your plan? Would you give us minds to understand your will? Would you give us hearts that beat after your heart? God, for your grace and mercy and glory, because of your grace and mercy and for your glory, would you give us feet that are obedient and hands that build what you want us to build and really feet that walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Father, what I say today that, are, that is merely my opinion or that is some soapbox that I'm on or that it's just wrong, would you just cause those words to fall away and not be heard? But the things that are true, the things that you have for your church, the A plan, would you use those things, even, even if they're painful, to teach us? Because we know you love us. It's apparent you sent us your son. And we're yours. And Father, we want to be used not to accomplish our dreams, but to accomplish your will. So come and speak. Speak through a broken vessel, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first question I want to wrestle with with you is this, this little story out of Genesis. What does God reveal about himself in this story? Because we might kind of blow right by it and say, well, was there anything really theological there? Was there anything really about God there? I'm going to tell you, God reveals a lot about himself in this little story. He's going to reveal to us two things, his plan and his passion. He's going to reveal to us his plan and his passion. The first thing is this, it's God's plan. If you want to follow along, write this down. It's God's plan is to fill the earth with his glory. God was not excited about his people stopping in one place. He wasn't uh, thrilled with the idea that the mission to fill the earth with his glory would stop. You see, ever since the beginning of time, ever since God created, it has always been his plan. He's never deviated from this plan. It will always be his plan. We could be sure of this, is that God created the heavens and earth to display and be filled with his glory. That is his plan. Now, mystery of all mysteries is that God created the earth, and he created us in his image, and he created just one place in the earth in the beginning that was inhabitable with man and God. It was called paradise. It was called Eden. And what he said to man was this. He says, you reflect who I am. You are my image. Because you're my image, you have amazing, incredible value. And let me tell you your purpose. Your purpose is to multiply my image and to now take the reign and rule of me as a sovereign God to all the earth. Here's what you two are to do. As image bearers, we are to go where there's darkness and we're to bring light. We're to go and where there is chaos and we're to bring order. We're going to go where there is void and we are to bring beauty. It's always been God's plan that this earth is basically like his trophy case. He wants to display his glory from ends to ends of this earth. Always been his plan. It was his plan with Adam. Adam, go and multiply. It was his plan with Noah. Noah, go and multiply. It was his plan with Abraham. Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to the nations. 
And it was his plan with Jesus. We get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 28, and Jesus' ascension to heaven, what is he going to give to the disciples and to us? It's called the Great Commission. He says, go! Go where? Go into all of the earth. To every nation, go. And make disciples in my name, the triune name of God. Fill this earth with the glory of God. Some people read the Bible and say, you know what? The Old Testament's got a story. The New Testament's got a story. Everybody's got a flavor. You know, there's certainly different flavors of God's word, different genres. But I'm telling you, there's one story. There is one story. And it's a story all about Jesus and all about Jesus rescuing sinners so we could do with that plan that God always had for us. Fill the earth with his glory. Think about that. How does that align with the American dream? How does that align with your life? So God reveals his plan for the earth in this. He also reveals his passion. Do you know that God is so passionate about his glory? That God is so passionate about his plan. And listen, if he wasn't, he'd be an idolater. He's so passionate about his plan that this God, this loving God, is willing to confuse our language to accomplish it. Are you kidding me? He says to them, go. I want you to go and fill the earth with my glory. They said, this looks like a pretty cool place. Let's settle here. Let's just settle. Forget God's mission. Forget God's plan. We want something else. We are going to settle for less than what God has for us. We're going to settle. We're going to settle right here. God says, no, you're not. God is so passionate about his plan that he was willing to come and says, I'm going to have these guys so confused, they don't know what's going on. I'm going to mess up their plans. I'm going to stop this building. I'm going to do what? He says two or three times, I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to disperse them. I'm going to send them. Why would God do that? Because that was always God's plan. And God is passionate about his plan. Now listen, Our passion for God's plan can wane. It really can. There's days that I am a Jesus lover. There are days that I am obediently following after the king. I shouldn't say days. That's really probably a lie. There are moments, there are nanoseconds that I am passionate about Jesus, all right? And my passion for him wanes. I read a quote from Piper. He said, sin exists where we no longer believe in God. Or I, I, he, he said it much more eloquently than that. I thought, that's it. It's when, when I lose my passion, when I lose my focus, and I get consumed with self. But God never loses his passion for his plan. Let me tell you something. There's no doubt about it right now. God's not up there wondering, I wonder if that was a good plan. I wonder if I re- Do I really want to fill the earth with my glory? Is this, is this what I'm all about? I tell you, as a leader, I struggle so much. What to do? Is this, is this right? Is, is, is that right? Is this where God wants us to go? God never wavers. His plan is to fill this place with his glory. He will do it. He is doing it. It will be accomplished. It will. And yet he gives us the amazing privilege of being a part of the plan. Not only that, being the A plan in Christ Jesus. Okay, so it reveals God's about himself, about his plan, about his passion. It also reveals about God's view of blessings. God blesses his children throughout Scripture. You want to know about God's blessing? This is another crystal clear, you can't miss it. God blesses his children 
always with the view that they will be a blessing to their neighbors. That they will be a blessing to the nations. God brings Abraham into an amazing covenant relationship with himself by God's grace through faith. He says, Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to be all over you with a love. And, and I'm just going to pour into you that your, your offspring is going to be more than the stars in the sky. Abraham, I'm just going to just love and bless you so much. Why? So that Abraham could be loved and blessed by God and have a good life and feel good about himself? No, so that the entire nations will be blessed. God's design for blessings are always these. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. So that you'll be a blessing to your neighbor first. So you'll be a blessing to the nations. It's true with Abraham. It's true with the nation Israel. And then in the Holy Spirit, we see this amazing blessing that we have that was prophesied by Joel, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us in the book of Acts. It's fulfilled, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, the power of the resurrected Savior comes upon us. And God's Word says this, now we will be His his witnesses. That's where we get the word martyrs. We'll be His martyrs. We'll be His witnesses to the ends of the earth in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because his plan was always to fill the earth with his glory. His passion was all that. Now he's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can be a blessing to others. Even that Holy Spirit is a blessing for that. Let me ask a tough question. What do most most people believe? What do most people feel when they say, God bless America? America. What, what, what are, what's going through our head most of the time or most of the people? And listen, I grew up listening to Kate Smith sing God Bless America at Philadelphia Flyer games. Uh, something amazing about the Yankee games now that they sing after 9-11, God Bless America. And as far as I'm concerned, it's better than our national anthem. I mean, what an amazing song. What an amazing uh, cry. But what are we really saying in that song? What, what are, okay, let's take ourselves off the hook. What are most people saying about that? Well, to me, I think what they're saying about God bless America is this, is that God, would you keep us safe? We're afraid. And that 9-11 thing really shook us. Will you keep us safe? God, would you keep us strong? We need a strong military. We just, we just need strength. Are we saying, God, would you keep us self-sufficient? Are we really saying, God, would you make us comfortable so that we can be big and you can be small? I mean, is God bless America really a call to say, God bless America in the way the biblical understanding of blessing so that we can be a blessing to the nations? We are in a lot of ways. I'm so proud of who we are as a nation. But, but really, when we say that, is, are we saying, God, bless America and bless her with repentance because, man, we got it all wrong. And bless, it, bless her with repentance because we are just taking your name and smearing it all over the place. I mean, God, bless us with godliness because we become pagan. God, bless America. You know what else it reveals about God. It reveals about his plan, his passion. It reveals about his blessings. And it reveals this about God. (laughs) 
Unbelievable. God will not bless our plans that aren't in line with His. He won't do it. I could just picture the prayer meeting when they decided to settle in the, in the, the uh, valley of Shinar and say, let's build a tower, let's build a city. I could imagine everybody gathered and say, okay, let's, let's join hands. God, would you come and would you bless our efforts to build this place? And would you keep us safe? And we ask your blessing on our building plans. We ask your blessing on our lives. We ask your blessing on our village. We ask your blessing on our children. None of those in and of themselves are wrong. We always should do that. We have to realize what was happening. God said, go. What did they say? No, we want to settle. And God, who is passionate about his plan, is going to say, I'm going to blow up your building plans. I'm not going to bless them. And sometimes he does bless us enough to still build. We wonder, was he really there? Is it really a part of it? See, When our plans are out of his will, and what is his will? Well, it's very clear. His will says that we are to pray for his will, that thy will be done, God's will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Were they they on God's agenda? No. How in the world can he bless something that's not his will? It's scary to think that even prayer for building projects can go unanswered (laughs) or be thwarted. Or be confused. What else do we learn? What we learn about God is this. For Christ and his kingdom needs to be our focus. For Christ and his kingdom needs to be our focus. It needs to be a focus of our lives. It needs to be our focus for our ministry. You know, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm challenged to say, Jeff, can you let us inside more of what's happening in the church? And can you let us inside more what you re- your leaders are wrestling with? And I'll tell you. One of the big issues I'm wrestling with is how do we take every ministry and really have it be a kingdom focus? How can each thing that we do really be turned so it reflects God's glory and more, so it's the greatest blessing to others? And what we're wrestling with is that God has given us an amazing school, an amazing reputation. How do we make it more kingdom aligned? How do we make it more about being a blessing to the nations? We're on our way. But we're asking those questions with everything. Because that's a passion God has put in me, has he not? You walk in the door, you're going to see for Christ and his kingdom. Now listen, it doesn't mean I live my life that way. Why do I have it above the door? Because when I walk in here sometimes, I think it's going to be about Jeff and his kingdom. You know that about me. So what is clear about this is God is passionate about his agenda. He's passionate about his plan. He's passionate about his name. He's passionate about his blessings. And they have specific reasons. And we're going to be about... The church, if we're going to be about him, for Christ and his kingdom. It's what he reveals. I love what he said up there. I think he stole it. I think he heard it from me, because you've heard it from me. Remember I said, we are the A plan? Anybody see that? It's been around here for a while? That's pretty interesting. There is no plan B. For some mystery, God made us in his image. For some, he decided to set an electing love on us, that we're his children, And from Genesis to Revelation, the whole goal for his children, the plan A of his children, there's never been, never will be a plan B, is to fill the earth with his glory as his children. That's why we're here. For Christ and his kingdom is not about us. Well, what does this story reveal about our American dream? Let's keep going. What does this story reveal about our American dream? It reveals a lot about God. What about us? Well, the American dream tells us that place is more important than mission. The American dream tells us that place, this place, is more important than God's mission. And with the American dream, we have the propensity to lose perspective. 
You see, the problem with settling down in one place and not wanting to be dispersed is we could easily lose mission. Even here. I understand we all live in Maitland, Altamont Springs, Castleberry, wherever in Central Florida. I understand that our primary mission is here. Our Jerusalem is here. Our Judea and Samaria are just around us. But if it's all about the American dream, if all we can see is ourselves, we miss the perspective of God. And it's not all about us. It's for us to go to be a part of what God is doing throughout the earth. We lose mission. We lose being on mission for God. We lose the fact that we really are the A plan. Listen, tomorrow you're going to wake up really believing that you're on mission for God? I mean, is it really going to be about the A plan? With this American dream that beats down our door, that continually steals our heart, that fills our thoughts, we lose mission. We are here. Every one of us is our missionaries. Uh, When Chuck Green started this church, every member a missionary. It was a great reminder. We have to be on mission. Let me ask a question. What mission are you pursuing? I mean, seriously. What mission are you really pursuing? The American dream not only tells us that place is more important than mission, the American dream tells us to build a city for ourselves. It's interesting, for ourselves. That's what they did. Let's build a city, and I kept, for ourselves. We lose focus. The American dream causes us to lose focus. What does it say after for Christ and his kingdom? What's the next thing that comes? It's not about us. And the American dream has a propensity to let us lose that focus and say that we are to build a city for ourselves, a church for ourselves, a family for ourselves, a life for ourselves. It's wrong. It's never been God's plan. God wants us to build a city here for Him. He calls it a city on a hill. He calls it the light of the world. He calls it a place, a colony of heaven. We are here not to build a city for ourselves. Augustine, in his life back in the 300s, would write a book called City of God, saying the whole mission of Christians is completely antithetical to those who are building towers in a place called Babel, that we are here on mission to God to bring His name everywhere we go. So the American dream tells us to build a city for ourselves. Let me ask you this question. What city are you helping build? With your resources, with your, with your mind, with your talent, with your time. What, what's your daytime or your checkbook? What, what does it tell us about our investment? What are we, city are we really trying to build. The American dream tells us to build a name for ourselves. That's what they said. Let's stop here. Let's settle. Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's build a name for ourselves. And we start to lose our purpose. Is it really about our names? It's not. It's not about the name of Orangewood. I don't think until you become a parent, and I'm going to go on a limb and say, even a dad that you really start to get the perspective of a family name. And you start to understand and appreciate what a name means and how it is to honor and live for that name. I think it really starts to take shape once parenthood starts. 
And I tell you, naturally as our sinful self, we can really start believing it. it. Ultimately, it is about our name, but it's not. Scripture tells us in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, that there is one name that is above every other name. That the Father gave the Son the name that is above every name. It's, 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 it's the greatest name. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. In the book of Acts 4, verse 12, says there's one name in which we are to be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. There's one name that you're to live for. There's one name that you are to die for. There's one name that's to consume you. There's one name that's to fill your thoughts and your heart and your life. There's one name, and the name is Jesus. And we are here, and unbelievably, He's given us this amazing privilege to wear it, to be it, to know it, that Christian, that Christ's name is on us, and in us, and through us, and now there's one one name that we need to promote, and it's Jesus. And the American dream tells us it's about our name, and we lose perspective. What name is your life's pursuit promoting? What name? Someone rubs up against you and finds the flavor of your life and the, what you're doing. What, what name would emerge? What aroma. Amazingly, God in Christ calls us the aroma of Christ. What smell. The American dream tells us to build a tower to heaven and we lose our calling. And this is, this is, this is, this is important. You know what they wanted? They wanted their own flavor of religion. <laughs> they wanted it to do it their way. I think when they were building the tower... Is it Frank Sinatra who's saying, I did it my way? I think Sinatra was playing it. I think what was happening is they're going to say, you know what, we're going to settle. God says, go, we're going to settle. God says, make this place filled with his glory. We're going to make it about us. But we're going to have religion. We're going to have, listen, we're going to have religion. American dream has religion. We're religious folks. We're going to have religion. We're going to have our American flavor of religion. And we're going to let the gospel be shaped by our American flavor of religion. We're going to build our own tower. God may say, do it this way, but you know what? I did it my way. Heaven help us. We lose our calling. You know, I, I hear so often, I know you do, this country has been founded on Christian values. We've got to find those Christian values. When you find your values, you may find a guy named Jefferson, and I'm telling you what, he built his own tower. He did it his way. He took God's word and he started saying, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that, I like that, I don't like this, I like that. You know what he was doing? He was making his own flavor of Christianity. And it was repugnant to God. We can't build towers that are our flavor of religion, the way that we think that we're to do things. God has told us how we are to relate to Him through His Son Jesus. He told us how we are to live and who we are to be. We've got to be very, very careful that we're building towers that communicate the way we want God to respond to us. God, we can never build a tower. We don't have the material, the ability, or the righteousness to build anything up to heaven. How do we build on, righteous, or on filthy rags? How do we stack filthy rags high enough together to build any tower to heaven? We're sinful. We're lost. We have no hope except in some really good news that God is amazingly gracious. And God doesn't ask us to build lives that are towers to heaven. He asks us to embrace His Son. 
God comes to earth. He blesses us. He reveals himself to us. It's not about us building a tower. It's about us accepting his son as the way, the truth, and the life. What flavor of the gospel are you promoting? What towers are you and I building? And lastly, how does Jesus fulfill the dream of our story? It has been said by one of the great philosophers of our time, Thomas Hanks, in one of the greatest movies of our time, what was that baseball movie? League of Their Own. Thank you. And he had a quote in that movie that there is no crying in baseball. This last week we had crying in baseball. It's weird. We had it from an umpire. A guy by the name of Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce, very good umpire. He's umpired in the World Series. He's done all-star games. He's rated as one of the top umpires of all time. Jim Joyce happens to be, God bless you, Jim Joyce happens to be umpiring a game in Detroit. The pitcher has a perfect game. Uh, This is amazing because in all the years of baseball annals in history, there's only been 20 perfect games in the entire history of baseball. And this is more than a no-hitter. This is no one gets on. There's no walks. There's no errors. He gets all the way in the ninth inning. In the beginning of the ninth inning, a ball is hit deep, deep to center field. The center fielder runs and makes this Willie Mays type catch. It's amazing. One out. Maybe he's going to make history. The second guy up innocently grounds out in the infield. There's two outs. He is one out away from making history. He is going to do something that only 20 people have ever done. He's going to pitch a perfect game. Goes into a windup. Here comes the pitch. It's a weak ground ball between first and second. The first baseman reaches over. He makes the backhand snap. Throws it over to the pitcher who since spring training has been training. Go cover the base. It's a good throw. The throw is there. The, the uh, pitcher's there. He catches the ball. Clearly it beats the runner. He's out. But the umpire says he's safe. He starts yelling and screaming and yelling and saying, you missed it. You blew it. You're crazy. You, you took away a perfect game. And sadly, in today's age of replays, Jim Joyce's gaff. Thank God my gaffes aren't on national TV. His gaff was seen for the whole world. And Jim Joyce did something that we didn't think umpires could do. He cried. And he felt horrible. He used bad language to describe how bad he felt. But he said, I robbed that kid. I took, that kid. I took, I took history away from that kid. It was interesting because in the locker room, uh, the, this kid, uh, Galarago, hold on, it's a nice Hispanic name here. Hold on, it's uh, Armando Galarraga. I think I got it right. It was really interesting. He was, he was in the, what do you call those places? Showers? Those, uh, no. Locker room. He's there. Never been there. Um, and they were talking to him, and he says, you know, I think the umpire feels worse than I do. And he said this, which really intrigued me. He said, you know, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. I thought, isn't that ironic? 
that you just pitched a perfect game and someone's lack of perfection took it from you? And what you're going to say is, nobody's perfect. Huh. How do you redeem it? He said, you know, what I want to do is I want to, I want to show, a, show a film someday to my son. And I want to show him that I really pitched a perfect game. And although I won't get any credit for it in the record books, I thought, that stinks. You know, you're going to have to one day put a DVD in and show your kid that you did something that you really didn't do, but you should have done. And Is there just a way, is there a way that we could rewind the tapes and make it okay? Not in baseball. Once you make the call, you make the call. And you live with the results. Who's perfect anyway? You know, God requires perfection. He's holy. He's without sin. He can't wink at it. (laughs) And the only thing he could ever accept is a perfect game from his image. And the pitcher was right. Who's perfect? All of us have fallen short of perfection, right? So what do we do? We got a holy God. We got imperfect people. We can't build a tower to heaven because we're imperfect. And as soon as you're imperfect, the towers don't work anymore. You can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot do it. We always fall short because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what does God do? His plan was always to fill the earth with his glory, but we've messed it up and all we do is dump oil in the gulf. All we do is pollute the earth. What do we do? Well, he says the A plan is going to continue. And the A plan was always about my son. And I'll send the one who is perfect. I'll send the one in who is perfect and he'll take on flesh and God will become man. And, and I'll do that which you and I failed to do, Jesus does for us. Perfection. Listen, the only way the Father can accept us and be still holy is if somebody actually did that perfection for us. And that's where Jesus fulfills all of our dreams because what we could never build to heaven, Jesus came down and built for us with His perfect righteous life. But there's more good news. Not only did He come and do that which we did not do, failed to do, and didn't even want to do, and that is fulfill God's requirement of righteousness. He died the death paid the penalty of our sins. God's wrath that is poured out on sins has been consumed and absorbed in the broken body of Jesus. And as He poured out His blood as a sacrifice for sinners, the Father saw it as a pleasant aroma and He was pleased. And did it work? Did the sacrifice work? Well, that's what Easter's all about. There's an empty tomb that tells us death has been defeated that the tower is crumbled, that the bridge from heaven and earth has forever been permanently sealed through Christ Jesus, that now we can live. Now our dreams can be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Now we can have life and life abundantly. Jesus is, is the answer. He's Jacob's ladder. He's the tower. He brings us the perfection of God. And now he tells us that in him we're a colony of heaven. 
Don't build a tower. Advance the kingdom with your life. Now Jesus tells us to go in all the world and make disciples, to fill the earth with His glory. And here's the, here's the only option for us. You and I sit here as one of two things. We're going to believe this, and if we believe this, we're either going to be radical goers that believe that the mission for us goes beyond our walls, or we're going to be radical senders that we believe that we've got to support those who are going. The American dream in this sermon... When I sat with those and we wrestled through how this sermon was going to land, we said, well, what's going to make the point to make them different on Monday morning? You know what we just laughed about? We realized that the American dream has shaped even the way we listen to sermons. That really what you long for is for the preacher to tell you, now here are the three things you need to do to go make your life better. Here they are. One, two, three. Go make them better. Because we're Americans. Give me the point. Tell me how to change. Make me feel better about myself and I'll go. But I believe that God is telling us that maybe we need to come in here and say, God, I'm going to listen to your sermon. I'm going to ask this question. What does it reveal about you? What does it reveal about me? And where do I need to repent? And where do I need to believe? So I could be back on mission with you. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. And maybe some of this repenting that we need to do is repenting that we're telling our children that they're the center of the universe when they're not. Jesus is. Maybe we need to repent from thinking our jobs are bigger than our mission to honor Christ with all we have. Maybe we need to repent from being fooled by a dream. Start to live for reality of God's plan for this world. Let us pray. Father, if this sermon was for anybody, it was for me. You just know the truth. (laughs) You called me to stand before these people and tell them some hard stuff today. You told me some hard stuff. But you told me some of the most beautiful stuff too. That you're a God who comes to us and reaches down and loves us and cleanses us in Christ's blood, and robes us in His righteousness, that we can be a part of Your love story. And You'll never change Your mind about us. I just just want to stay there for a minute. You'll never change Your mind about us, because the truth is, is (laughs) I'm not sure when this message is going to start leaking. probably already has. And I'm not sure when the American dream is going to dominate. Maybe it already is. But I can't get over your love that won't stop. Father, look into our hearts. See where we have drunk the Kool-Aid of the American dream. And because we love you, but more importantly, because you love us, cause us to look deeply of all the inconsistencies and help us to repent, a godly repentance. And the only way we could do that is knowing that it's safe to do that because you're good and you're merciful. And you're quick to forgive 
more quick than we are to repent. So Holy Spirit, come and I pray that as we give our tithes and offerings, not trying to appease you, you would let us, through the Spirit, examine our lives and repent of the things that we're building that are inconsistent with the kingdom of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. That was an easy song. I'm guilty. About every line in there stung. I don't know why they got to write songs with just thinking about my life. How's it with you? I want to repent. And the great thing is, is that God is the one who even graciously causes us to repent. That's who He is. And He forgives us. And He cleanses us. And you ready for this? And He loves us. And we're His. And we're not just forgiven, but we're beautiful in His sight. He doesn't want you to leave here feeling badly and guilty. He wants you to leave here examining and maybe making some changes. But listen, here's how He wants you to leave here. Knowing you're loved in Christ Jesus. And knowing that He has a plan for you to be a part of. He wants you to leave here knowing that His love is greater than the love that the world's going to try to offer and tempt you with. And His plan is greater than the American dream. And He wants you to leave here filled with the Spirit saying, I want to be a part. It may seem small, but Scripture says what seems small in the body is indispensable. We all have a part. Jesus came and He brought a kingdom with Him. As the King of kings and Lord of lords, He brought us a new life, and a new way of doing life, and a new way of praying about that life. He said now we get the privilege of praying that that kingdom would come more in fullness. It will come. It's coming. It will come. The fullness will be here. Someday we'll see Him face to face. But until that time, the time between now until we see Him face to face, That kingdom coming, His A plan is through you and through me. Powered by the Holy Spirit. Not about us. But it's us leaving here saying, okay, I get it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand and sing.